0: We're down by verse number 16. It might get a little heavy today, a little doctrinal today, but I'll try to, if it turns into a tailspin, I'll try to, you know, bring the the nose of the plane up again and point us towards the horizon. But I got to kind of do some explaining. But um, just to get the context of this scene again, right? Jesus Christ is getting ready to die, to lay his life down. And uh, before somebody, I mean, good, am I good over there? Before someone dies... His last words tend to be very important, very instructive. We pay attention to the last words. In fact, you could Google like the last words and read the last words of famous people, and you kind of like people like you know, ooh and ah about the last words of certain people. But in John chapter 14, Jesus Christ is sharing his last words to his disciples. And uh, he's sharing those last words because he wants to share those final instructions to his loved ones, his men, his disciples that have been with him for three and a half years in the upper room. What did the Lord want his disciples to know? You ever think about that? Like, what did Jesus Christ's men need to hear in those last words? Well, 14, 16, he says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. In that upper room, the Lord talked a lot about the coming Holy Spirit. I guess we needed to hear about him. I guess we need him in our lives. I guess the disciples really need a relationship with the Holy Spirit and some empowering by the Holy Spirit because those are part of Jesus Christ's last words. You find some of the best teaching on the Holy Spirit in that upper room discourse. And you want to see one of the first things he says about the Holy Spirit to his men? 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. The first thing Jesus Christ, or one of the first things Jesus Christ tells them about the Holy Spirit, is the coming indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now it must mean that's pretty important. Jesus Christ is telling them this before he dies because the Holy Spirit would be doing something very different in the coming weeks and months and years after Jesus died. This was going to be something different. He had to tell them that. The first thing he tells them is about the coming indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I got to wonder why. Look at verse 16 again. Look at the end. That he may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit had not lived with anyone permanently up until this point. He'd come upon somebody, he'd leave, he'd go in and out, he'd move about. Verse, the end of verse 17, look at the end of verse 17. He shall be in you. Jesus Christ is prophesying about the Holy Spirit's future indwelling of believers. What we experience today, he's prophesying back there. So I want to talk another week about the coming Holy Spirit. But the the aspect I want to focus on this week is, is he in you? Is he in you? Because Jesus said he'd be in you. What does that mean? And what change in the Holy Spirit's work was he forecasting? Don't worry, if it rolls all the way down here, I'll catch it, right? And what change was Jesus Christ forecasting for us? Who are alive and trying to follow him today? So let's pray, and then we'll get rolling. Okay. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you today, Lord. We just praise you for a good time already, and we pray we'd learn something. Uh, not that I'm saying, it, Lord, but whatever, whoever's saying, it, Lord, we'd learn something from your word because that's the source of all life and hope and strength and truth and goodness. We thank you for a book, dear God. The kiss of uh, the kiss upon our soul is this book. May we always be first Bible. May the Bible always be first, and we learn from your word today and be provoked unto love and good works. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to go all the way back to Leviticus chapter 5, and we're going to do a little bit of teaching a little bit, and then we'll throw some preaching in to make you feel bad about yourself. But Leviticus um, chapter (laughs) 5, all right, I don't know, if you walk out of a message and say, I just feel so great about myself, I've probably failed. (laughs) Uh, So I don't try to make you feel bad about yourself, but sometimes it just, it gets you. But uh, in the Old Testament, all right, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit never indwelt anybody. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit never indwelt, lived inside of a believer permanently, that's what I mean by indwelt, anybody. Because the Holy Spirit could not abide, stay in your body because your soul and your flesh, for lack of a better word, were stuck together. And every time your flesh touched something, your soul was defiled. And the Holy Spirit's like, I can't stay here permanently. He's getting dirty again. I got to leave. And remember, his name is the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit will not live in or abide with a soul that's married to or joined to this stinking flesh. The Bible says nobody in the flesh is going to please God and our flesh and our soul were kind of stuck together the bible says in amos 3:3, can two walk together except they be agreed you think the holy spirit wants to live inside a body that's constantly being defiled that's constantly getting flooded with sin no he would come upon somebody like a samson give him strength and when samson did something stupid he'd say i'm out of here And that's the Old Testament's role of the Holy Spirit, coming upon somebody. And then when that somebody started doing something dumb like a Saul or a Samson, you know what? That Holy Spirit would say, I need to step away. It's not like that today. How did it happen? The Bible says, what communion hath light with darkness? Now look at Leviticus 5. Just because some of you are looking at me getting ready to pick up a rock. Leviticus chapter 5 verse 1. Look in these verses how the soul and the flesh are used almost interchangeably because they're joined together. And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness whether he has seen it or known of it if he do not utter it then he shall bear his iniquity. Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of unclean cattle or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and if it be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touch the uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it be, that a man shall be defiled with all, and it be hid from him when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever be that a man shall pronounce with an oath and it be hid from him when he knoweth of it then he shall be guilty in one of these. I know it's a lot of stuff that puts you to sleep. I get it. But your soul was guilty or would be guilty for what your ears heard what your hands touched or what your mouth said. See that? Now the soul is the unseen part of you. It's your self-consciousness your individuality we could call it your heart it's the spiritual part of you the flesh is the seeing part of you it's your world consciousness it's how you taste and smell and feel it's your body it's physical now you as far as god is concerned you're not your body One day you'll leave your body. You're your soul living inside your body, right? That's how God looks at this thing. But I want you to look at what we just read. Think about what we just read and just think for a second. You thinking? We don't do that a lot, but just think for a second. You know, it'd be more seconds than you probably thought all week. Just think for a second. No phones, turn them off, right? No TV, don't worry about it. Just just for right now, just think. How can the unseen part of you be guilty for something your seen part touches? Some of you uh, see some smoke coming out of your ears. How can your soul, that's the spiritual part, that's immaterial and unseen, be guilty for something your body, which is your physical part, touches or does or says or hears? You thinking about that? You know why that's possible? Because your soul was joined to or married to your flesh and these two were one in the Old Testament. God saw them as one entity. Look at Leviticus chapter 22. I'll show you again just to prove it to you. Leviticus 22. Look at 22.6. Leviticus 22.6. Leviticus 22.6. 22:6 The soul which hath touched any such shall be unclean until even and shall not eat of the holy things unless he wash his flesh with water. The soul that touches is unclean until he washes his flesh. <clears throat> you thinking about that? God's using them almost interchangeably. The soul touches until the flesh gets washed. Because they're joined together. Look at uh, Numbers chapter 19. I'll show you another one. I don't think you'll be getting this across most pulpits today. If I said this to most people, you'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm just reading the Bible. (laughs) Right? Just read the Bible. It's in there. Read the Bible. It's not heresy. (laughs) After the way which I call heresy, (laughs) they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. It's right there. I'm not giving you heresy. I'm giving you Bible. Numbers chapter 19, verse 22 Ready? Numbers 19, 22, last verse of Numbers 19. And whatsoever the unclean person toucheth shall be unclean. And the soul that toucheth it shall be unclean until even. The person touching is the same as the soul touching. They're one. They're like husband and wife as far as God's concerned. They're joined together. And before you were saved, you know what that means? Think about this. Before you were saved, you were truly trapped. Your soul was in bondage to your flesh. Your soul was literally trapped in your flesh. Look at Numbers 9. Let me show you how easy it was and how precarious your walk with God was in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 9, verse uh, 4. Numbers 9, 4. All right? Numbers 9, 4. You there? Say amen. I can see the nosedive. I'm going to pull up the plane in just a second. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. That's a good thing. Remember the lamb that was shed, whose blood was shed to free them? That's a good thing. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month that even in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did the children of Israel. And there were certain men who were defiled by the dead body of a man that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day and those men said unto him, we are defiled by the dead body of a man. You know what happened? All these men did was come into the presence of a dead man and they were defiled. What'd they do? Somebody might have dropped dead or they found the dead body in the field and said, oh no, now we're unclean. Now our soul is unclean. We've got to be washed. We can't worship God. Do you see how different the Old Testament is than the New Testament? Amen. Can you see how easy It was to be defiled in this present evil world. Could you imagine what your life would be like if every time you heard or touched or saw something evil, you were cut off from God and lost your relationship with him and had to kind of like get yourself washed again? Do you see how precarious it was? It would be like walking through a swamp without trying to get gunk on your shoe. I mean, it's like impossible how easy it is to get dirty in this filthy, filthy world. Can I get an amen there? Think about all the stuff you heard this week. Think about all the stuff that you might have said this week. Think about all the stuff that your hands or your feet might have touched this week. Those guys back there in the Old Testament, before the cross, that stuff would defile them. I mean, all these guys did, they're trying to serve God. And and they come across a dead body and they're like, oh no, I'm in the presence of a dead body. I'm defiled. That's a very different situation than today. So how could the Holy Spirit then ever be in you when it's so easy for you to be defiled? In the Old Testament, if you heard the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, touched the wrong thing, God said, you're unclean. And the Holy Spirit's not going to dwell in a vessel that's unclean. So that's why the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament never permanently sealed himself inside of anybody because your flesh and your soul were in contact with each other and everything you touched defiled your soul. Everything you said defiled your soul. Everything you heard that was wrong, like swearing or that dirty work joke at work, guess what? It defiled your soul, cut you off from God. What did God do? How did he fix this? Well, in the New Testament, the soul is now circumcised from your flesh at the moment of salvation. God separates or cuts away your flesh from your soul the moment you call on Jesus Christ. That's how the Holy Spirit can then indwell you, make a place inside of you, inside your soul, that the flesh cannot touch and the wicked one cannot touch. Now some of you are just like, what is I thought Christmas message. I'll get to that in a few weeks. Right? (laughs) But look at Romans chapter 7. We're supposed to come to church to learn the Bible, right? Amen. Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to give you the application at the end, but I want to see the doctrine. you got to, right? God said Scripture was given first for doctrine, then for instruction in righteousness later. So let's look at Romans 7, and let's break this down. You heard how I kept saying it was like a husband and a wife being joined together, that soul and that flesh? Well, in Romans chapter 7... The Lord is going to liken the relationship of your soul and your flesh to a marriage, where two are stuck together, and God's going to have to separate. Romans chapter seven verse one. "Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how the law, that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband, is bound by the law. To her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, because he's still her husband, by the way, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So here, he's likening the relationship of your soul and your flesh to a marriage. Here's how. Before salvation, your soul was that woman, and your flesh was that man, and your soul was trapped in a dead-end marriage with the flesh, joined to the flesh, stuck in the flesh, unable to be separated from the flesh, defiled by the flesh, trapped by the flesh, And when Jesus Christ saved you, he separated your soul from your flesh. He gave you a divorce. He divorced your soul from your flesh. You say, how did he do that? He killed your flesh. He says that flesh, you're only married as long as that flesh lives. And if that flesh is dead, you're free to be married to another. Amen? Amen? So in Romans 7, 4, he says, Wherefore, my brethren... Ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that ye should be married to another even to him who was raised from the dead. Who's that? That we should bring forth fruit unto God. You know what God did? The brilliance, the magnificence, the wisdom. You know what God did? The God put you into Christ when you got saved. And your flesh died with him on the cross that's called co-crucifixion that's why paul could say i am crucified with christ They that have crucified the flesh, right? He says, God took you. You're sitting here in Aberdeen, New Jersey in 2023. And if you call on Jesus Christ right now, he supernaturally takes you. He says, I'm going to put you into Christ. So his death becomes your death. His burial becomes your burial. And his resurrection becomes your resurrection. And now, as far as God is concerned, your flesh is dead. Stop digging it up. Stop getting the shovel out in the backhoe and digging it up and propping it up like biting at Bernie's. I mean, weekend at Bernie's, right? Stop propping up something God said is dead. He says it's dead, and because it's dead, now your soul is free to be married to Jesus Christ so finally you can do something that God accepts and bring forth fruit unto God. Death is a divorce. You know that? When you die, you are divorced from your spouse. You sit at that wedding altar, till death do us part. Right? When that flesh is not joined to that flesh anymore, you are divorced. And when you died with Christ, when God put you on the cross in Christ, your soul was divorced from your flesh. Amen. Hallelujah. Go to Colossians chapter 2 show you one more about this. We're circling the wagons, don't worry. We're going to get to the good stuff in a second. Oh, thank you. You're so nice. Because <laughs> I was going to quit. I was just, you know, if I don't get enough amens at the end of the service, I just throw throw my Bible in on Route 34 and give up. No. Uh, now, let's look at Colossians 2. Let's read verses 10 to 13. <clears throat> He's talking to Christians now, and he says, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Watch this really closely now. 2.11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Let's break this down. When you got saved, the Lord did an operation on you and the Holy Spirit was the surgeon. And when you get operated on, I've had a few, the surgeon does a lot that you don't understand at the time. And when you got saved, the Holy Spirit did a lot to you that you didn't understand at the time. You just said, I'm a sinner, like... uh, I think it was John Newton said it maybe. I am a great sinner, and he's a great savior, and that'd be all you knew. And that's all you needed to know. You don't need to understand these doctrines to get saved. You need to understand... Oh, I've lied and God said don't lie I've stolen, God said don't steal I've lusted and God said that's as good as adultery I've had hatred in my heart, God said that's as good as murder I've taken God's name in vain I've used God's holy name as a blasphemous word instead of a curse word Oh, I'm in trouble with God, I'm in trouble and the wages of sin is death, oh no, oh no Oh, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us You mean to tell me that Jesus Christ took the payment for my sin and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord I'll take it I'll take him to be the payment for my sins. And that's salvation. That's all you got to know. That's the simplicity. But the surgeon is behind the scenes doing all this stuff that you didn't understand to make that possible. You know, I've had a couple of knee surgeries and I didn't understand what he was doing, but I knew I couldn't walk. But when I laid down, you know what? And I got back up, the surgeon had done some things. You know why? So I could walk. And you didn't have any walk with God. You couldn't even stand before God. But when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came in and did a whole bunch of operations that you didn't understand so that you could walk with God and was a standing with God. You know what he did in verse 11? He circumcised or cut away. That's all circumcision is. He cut away your soul from your flesh. It's made without hands. It wasn't a bris, okay? It was made without hands. He did this. Because they were joined together. They were stuck together, for lack of a better word. Verse 12, he immersed you, or he baptized you. He put you into the body of Christ. You died and rose again with Jesus Christ, as far as God is concerned. When did that happen? When you got saved. The Holy Spirit's doing all this stuff behind the scenes. Why did he have to do that? Why did he have to put you into Christ, crucify your flesh, cut your soul away from your flesh, and divorce you from the flesh? Why? Because verse 13, your uncircumcised flesh was dragging your soul down with it. Amen. He says you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He ain't talking about what happens on you know, in, the, in the nursery, in the hospital. He's talking about the fact that your soul was stuck to your flesh and you were going down because you were stuck together. That's what he's talking about. You know, if you're a lifeguard, or you you learn about saving people in a pool of the ocean, they tell you the most dangerous thing about a drowning person is they try to take you down with them. It's the most dangerous thing. They're grabbing and trying to pull you down because they're looking for anything to pull them up. Your flesh was going down, and it was taking your soul down with it because they were joined together. Now, look over at uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Let me show you what God did. God looks down at you, and there's Pamashanya, there's Ariel Mohica, there's Josh Adler, you know, there's Destiny. I don't know your last name, Destiny, but I know you got one, but I'm just going to, what is it? All right, uh, I'll get it later, right? But you know, he's looking out at you, and he says, wow, they're going down! They're going down! They're going down! So God took out his Holy Spirit scalpel, and he went in there, and he, he cut that soul free. See Hebrews chapter four? Hebrews chapter four. Now watch Hebrews four. You read this verse a lot of times. You thought it was just about the Bible and you got excited about it, but you never slowed down to think about what he was actually saying. For the word of God is quick, life-giving meaning, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even 2 Verse 12, 412, to the dividing asunder, meaning to the dividing apart, that's what asunder means. To the dividing apart of the soul and spirit, that's one thing, and of the joints and marrow, that's another thing. One's spiritual and one's physical. And that whole. and he says. Uh, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That word that you believed is so powerful that it entered into your heart and could pierce and divide your soul from your flesh and separate them. That's how powerful that book is. Religion can't do that. Self-help programs can't do that. Psychology can't do that. Your friends can't do that. You know what could do that? Jesus Christ can do that. He is the word of God. He is the word of God. And when he enters in, Remember what Jesus said? And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Oh, this just means I can walk at liberty. No, no, no. Let's take it literally. He made your soul free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You are true. If you're saved today, you are truly free. You are absolutely free. Indeed, you are free that is Colossians 2, the circumcision of Christ. Amen. That he enters in and frees that soul from that sinking flesh. He put off the body and freed your soul. Now go to Romans chapter 2. Let me give you a little more. Making some sense so far? Amen. Listen, I, I know I talk too fast. And I know I try to put too much into an hour-long, 45-whatever-minute message. I know. But you know what? If there's ever a question, ask me anytime. My phone number is 718-419-1483. 718-419-1483. Text me anytime if you got a question. If I don't make sense, ask me. I'm not afraid of a question. I'm not insulted by a question. I know I'm skumbinad half the time up here. So I, that's, a, that's in the Greek. That means skumbinad, right? That's, I know I'm all over the place. So if you need me to clarify something, I'm happy to do it. But Romans 2.28 says, He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Watch it in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. You know what he's saying? Nothing outward you can circumcise makes it possible for the Holy Spirit to be in you. Nothing you could do out here. Now that Jew, that moral man, that religious man that Romans chapter 2 is targeting, he thought that his outward circumcision, that right and that ritual he had done on his body as a baby because he was a child of Abraham, he thought that that made him good with God. God says, not really. It's not outward in the flesh, it's inward, it's in the heart. i got to do something inside of you to truly save you. The Lord has to do an operation on the inside to make a place For the Holy Spirit to dwell and not be touched by the body of the sins of the flesh. Because he can't abide with or live inside something where the dirt is always coming in the windows. So God had to separate that soul from your flesh so the Holy Spirit could move in without risk of being touched by sin. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, the next book over. Right? 1 Corinthians 6. You say, well, I never heard that before. Well, to quote Prince Hamlet, there are more things in heaven and earth than I dreamt of in your philosophy, Horatio. There's a lot in this book that I've never heard about before. So just because you never heard of it before doesn't mean it's not in the Bible. (laughs) There's stuff in the Bible about satyrs. What's that all about? I have no idea. There's stuff in there about stuff that I have no idea what it's about, but it's stuff in there... (laughs) There's cars talked about in the book of Nahum. There's all kinds of stuff in that Bible that just because you don't know it doesn't mean it's not true. <laughs> that just means you didn't know it yet. <laughs> and in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, the Lord kind of calls you out on that. He says, what? What? <laughs> know ye not that ye are, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Now, today, the New Testament believer's body is the temple where the Holy Spirit will abide forever, just like Jesus predicted in the upper room. That's where it's coming through. Now, the temple, unlike the tabernacle, was a permanent dwelling for God tabernacle was a temporary thing. They broke it down, they set it up. The temple was a place where they drew the staves out of the ark and it was supposed to stay there forever. So when God calls your body the temple of the Holy Ghost, not the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost, but the temple of the Holy Ghost, he's implying because he's going to stay there forever. He's going to rest there. He's going to remain there. And the temple, unlike the tabernacle, required preparation For God to move in. That tabernacle they carried around. They set that tent up. They broke that tent down. It took Solomon seven years to build that temple. That things had to be prepared before God can move in. And that's such it is with you. God had to do an operation inside of you to prepare a place for the Holy Spirit to move in. And it didn't take seven years. It took, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. It took, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. It took... God, save my soul for Jesus' sake. In that moment, God did this whole operation and got your temple ready for the Holy Spirit so He could move on in. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 21 and 22. You know why people don't stay or come to a church like this? Because we teach the Bible. And we're heavy on doctrine. Oh, you guys are so heavy on doctrine. What else am I going to be heavy on? Heavy on the cream? Heavy on the cream? Like, what am I going to be heavy on? What do you want me to be heavy on? The whole point of being alive is so that you might know God. You got to know God by what you're supposed to know about God. That's called doctrine. I can give you a buzz another way, right? but you're supposed to know about God when you come to church. You're supposed to learn the Bible when you come to church. You learn about God. That changes the way you walk outside this place. That's how it's supposed to work. Um, These kids yesterday, these young people, they're so sweet, they're unjaded by Christianity and churchianity. They were like, this one girl was saying, I've never been so intrigued about the Bible. You know what she said? You know what she said? It was like, I wanted to be like, can I film this? She was like, I go to, I've been to all these other churches and I'm not puffing us up, We're, we're nobodies. We're sitting here in a, we're sitting here in an elementary school auditorium and God's laughing about it, you know, and I'm laughing too. But you know what? She's like, you know, she said, all these other people, it's like they're in their mid-30s and they're trying to be like us teenagers. (laughs) She's like, they don't really ever teach us about the Bible. It's just like what to do in our relationships and how we're not supposed to do this. We don't know anything about the Bible. We just sit there. They tell us like what to do, what not to do. And it's just like, yeah. I was like, Jenna, you are a master of behavioral psychology. That's why I love Teenagers because they're so smart and they're so keen and they're so perceptive because most like youth pastors are up there like you know you know i'm gonna be like one of you man let me just give you some fire and i'm gonna you know you know and all that stuff and and they just want something real they just want something real and you know what we're trying to give you here by the grace of god something real some substance so you can feed yourself so when you're alone tomorrow, and you get bad news on that phone call, you can reach into that book and grab some truth to stand on. You know, you get that from doctrine. Not me just giving you a talk and sharing. I'm giving you something you know about God that stays forever. And he says over there in 2 Corinthians 1, 21, Now he which, hath, which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God. Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit, where? In our hearts. The part that was separated from your flesh. That soul. The Holy Spirit can live inside your heart. It's synonymous with your soul in the Bible because it's been cut away from your flesh. God's made a place in there. We can live and abide forever. That's called spiritual circumcision. A doctrine that makes it possible for the Holy Spirit to seal himself inside of you now. Now, by the grace of God, we can get to shouting. Because now, the Holy Spirit can abide with you forever because your soul is separate from your flesh. That's why losing your salvation is impossible in this dispensation. That's why it's so foreign to the church. It's like when someone asks me, I'm like, all right, where do I start? Because it's a radical misunderstanding of what God's doing in this age. Now, you go to work tomorrow, you hear somebody cursing, and you don't risk the Holy Spirit departing from you. You see that? You can go to a funeral and not be defiled by the dead body in the box. You can, you might even, because some of you are so stupid you'll do it, You might even reach for some forbidden fruit and make a mess of your life, but the Holy Spirit is still sealed inside of you. That's called eternal security. That's lesson two of discipleship one. If you've never been discipled, that's lesson two. You need to get discipled. You need to learn the Bible so you don't make a mess of things. The Holy Spirit can be in you today because of that faith, of that operation of God. Folks, go to, um, isn't that a comfort? I mean, isn't that an amazing fulfillment of Christ's promise in the upper room? Like, wow. What kind of relationship can you have with someone when you're always worried your spouse might split? That's not a good relationship. Like, Am I pleasing you now? Did I do enough nice, nice now? You know, did I... That's not... God says, I'm with you till the end of the line. Amen. And you know what that does? That makes you grow. That lets you exhale and go, oh, now I can live with you, Lord. Now I can know that even if I make a mess tomorrow, you don't like it, but you're not going to run away from me. You're going to give me another chance. That's you have a relationship, Right? Hey, married couples, if your hand is always on the exit door, you don't have a very good relationship. There is no exit door, right? you got to throw the exit door out and realize a relationship is something that takes time and investment, right? Time and investment. And that's what God says. God says, hey, I'm sealing myself inside of you because I want to have a relationship with you. And you know what it's going to take? It's going to take some time and work. (laughs) We're going to have to do this thing together. And work this thing out and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Look at um, Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus said, The Comforter shall be in you. A future promise, a future promise, because the Holy Spirit wasn't given yet. Now, when we get to the church age, and Ephesians is all about the body of Christ, it's all about the church. We see the fulfillment of that promise. We see a time when the Holy Spirit is going to be in God's people and living inside God's people. Ephesians 1, 12 and 13. Notice when I want to get my doctrine, I go to the Apostle Paul. We should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Let me just ask the crowd. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Okay. If you haven't, you could do that today. You don't need this church or any church or anybody else. You could trust Jesus Christ sitting in your chair right now. He says right there, if you trusted in Christ, watch what happened. In whom he also trusted. He says, I trusted Christ. You trusted Christ. Here's what happened. After that, you he heard the word of truth. There's the sword. The gospel of your salvation. In whom also. After that, you believed didn't go to church, didn't do 12 steps. After that, you believed. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Didn't Jesus make a promise that the Holy Spirit would be in them? There's the Holy Spirit of promise. It's fulfilled right there. Brethren, if you don't get anything else from this message to help you understand your Bible, salvation today is different than any other time in God's program. Salvation today is not the same in Moses' day. It's not the same in the millennium. It's not the same in the tribulation. It's not even the same in the Gospels. Salvation in this thing called the church is very unique to any other time in God's working. It's called the dispensation of the gospel of the grace of God. God's doing something unique and different and that Holy Spirit can be in you today because God is on the operating table and doing some operations and it says he's through the faith of the operation of God. What's that mean? Well, a baby's born, right? A baby boy is born to be precise a baby boy is born a son is born when a son is born the doctor circumcises his flesh that baby is oblivious to what's going on he just realizes i hate this man for the rest of my life right and that doctor looks down and says don't get mad at me it's no skin off my nose but anyway anyway digress. and that baby boy is oblivious to what just happened but something was done to him when he was born And when a believer is born again, when a son is born into the kingdom of God, the great physician circumcises your heart. You don't know what's going on, but he did something to your heart that would forever change you. That physical circumcision forever changes that child, and that spiritual circumcision forever changes that child of God. Now, you didn't know what was happening because when you have surgery, you know what you do? Can you just sign down there? You know how many times I had to do that for myself and for my son? Every time my son got a spinal tap until he turned 18, you know, know, we just got to take care of this. You just got to give your consent. You just give your consent when you have surgery, and the doctor has faith in what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to do. And when you got saved, you just gave consent, but God had faith in the operation that he would do on you. So go to Ephesians chapter four now and let me give you two more verses. Now I gave you a lot of doctrine, try to give you a quick drive-by of it and I want to leave you with this. What does all this doctrine mean for us who are saved today? What does this fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us today, what is the application of that doctrinal truth? How should that instruct us in righteousness now that we know the doctrine of this truth? First thing that we could take away from this is first, you could take some comfort today. Take comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit will abide with you forever. That's why he's called the comforter. When you're going through those messes, that I know many of you are going through, take comfort that if you're saved, though everybody might forsake you and your peace might leave you, and it looks like the world is crumbling all around you, there is one that said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And I don't say that out of some religious buzz to give you. I'm giving you doctrinal truth that the Holy Spirit lives inside your body forever. He's always there never leaving you or forsaking you. So that's a comfort. It's a comfort that we can draw strength in trouble from our very present help. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, if you're a Christian today, you could say that of a truth. He is very present. He's right there in your body. You don't need a guardian angel. You don't need St. Christopher. You don't need me. You know what you got? The Holy Spirit living inside your body, walking with you and interceding at God's right hand for you. The Holy Spirit within us is the comforter because he's never leaving. That's amazing. But you know what the turn of that is, the flip side of that is? To quote Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, with great power that God gives you, comes great responsibility that you must exercise. The fact that God said, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you, boy, does that put something on you for how you're supposed to live. Ephesians 4.30. Even though he never leaves, there are two things Paul says you should never do to the Holy Spirit. In all his writings, two things he says, don't do these two things. He's not going to leave. You got that? You got that. I hope you got that. He's not going to leave, but don't do these two things. You got me? I'm going to give them to you, and then we'll say amen. But These are the two things. How many things? Two things. Just two things. Ready? Number one, Ephesians 4.30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Number one, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't ever make him regret being in you. (laughs) Don't ever make him lament that he sealed himself inside of you. Don't make him ever be like, oh man, I wish this wasn't the plan for this age. Don't do that. Because the Holy Spirit is with you wherever you go. He's with you and he's in you till the end. Do you get that? You leave this place, you don't leave the presence of God. He's with you in the kitchen, right, Nydia? He's with you in the kitchen. He's with you in the, in, on, the, on the basketball court. He's with you in the workplace. He's with you in the bathroom. He's with you in the dark rooms that you might spend too much time in. He's with you in front of your computer. He's with you when you're on your cell phone. He's always there. People, everything you hear The Holy Spirit hears. Everything you touch, the Holy Spirit's there. Everything you say, I got so nervous my voice cracked. Everything you say, he's privy to. He's inside of you. Now believers ask, especially young believers will ask, you know, should I do this? Can I do this? Like they ask me like I'm somehow going to, you know, ex-cathedra give them something that I could do. Like I don't know. (laughs) My answer most of the time is I don't know. Can I do this? Should I do that? Should I listen to this music? Should I, can I drink this junk? Should I share this gossip? Should I date this boy? Should I follow this girl? Should I, you know, coulda, would all this should. Should I this, should I that, should I this? You know, how do you, you know how you answer it? Here's the rule of thumb to answering it. It's so simple, you're going to get mad. Because some of you'd rather me, I gave you a list of do's and don'ts. You know, make sure your dress is like this, your hair is like that. Some churches will do that. You know, dress this way, look that way. You'll be a good Borg, you know, a good clone. You'll just be, you know, walking and talking the same way. And you'll be wearing a suit to church like me and your heart is as dead as dead men's bones, right? You'll be, you know, it's not about the outward. So I can't tell you how to dress. I can't tell you where to go. I don't know, but God knows. So here's the rule of thumb. Now, if you tell me, I'm gonna go get blasted tonight and maybe pick up a hooker. I could tell you, it's probably not the right thing to do. I I think I could judge that thing without getting into the specifics. But here's the rule of thumb: Can you do it with your Savior present with no reservation? You're gonna pop open that cold one? If you got no hesitation with Jesus sitting there right with you, then have at it. If you wanna share that news about your brother and sister and tear somebody up after church in a little while and have yourself a little gossip fest and you could do it with Jesus sitting right there with you and joining in, go for it. If you want to watch that film that's, you know, filthy and wicked and full of four-letter words and people half-naked and you could sit down there with your Savior and watch it with him, then go get him. Get yourself some popcorn, get an extra bucket for Jesus, stick it on a chair and have movie night with Jesus. He lives inside of you. He's always there. So if you could do it, well, I just don't have peace about it. Well, I have peace about it. I'm not convicted by it. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Then God bless you, sister. God bless you, brother. (laughs) Or or maybe you just don't want to be convicted about it. (laughs) Maybe just quenching the spirit. We'll get to that in a second. But that's the rule of thumb. And just because he promised not to leave is not licensed to make him uncomfortable living in the house. He promised not to leave because he's gracious. Don't take advantage of that. We take advantage of it. Well, I'm eternally saved, so I got liberty. You are a child. You're a baby, actually. You're a baby. You're a spiritual baby. If it's all about your liberty and what I can do and what I can do. No. How about something that he would like you to do? How about denying yourself for him? That's number one. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's number one. You got number one. Nod your heads, you got number one. Number two is right on the heels of number one. First Thessalonians five. Because people say, well, I'm not convicted about it, brother. I'm just not convicted about it. I've just, you know, I just, I have peace about it. If you've got peace about sin, then something's wrong. You know, you got peace about getting three sheets to the wind, then something's wrong. If you got peace about that anger and you don't see it as a problem, something's wrong because that anger is as destructive as pornography. That anger is as destructive as if you took a knife and slaughtered your children because you're killing them every time you explode like that. And uh, there's a lot of stuff in there and you say, "What? bless you. You know, I'm not convicted about it. Okay. (laughs) But that might mean you're not convicted because you're done, you're doing the second thing you shouldn't do. The second thing you should not do, because there's only two. God made it so easy. One, grieve not. Two, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 19. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 19. The second thing you're not supposed to do to the Holy Spirit, quench not the Spirit. You can memorize that verse right now. We all walk out here, we memorize the verse. Quench not the Spirit. Don't extinguish what he's trying to do in you. Don't put it out. You know in Acts chapter 2, when the church was born at Pentecost, when the church came out screaming like a baby comes out screaming at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given on Pentecost, you know what he appeared as? Cloven tongues like as of fire. Fire. The emblem of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the church was fire. You say, why? Because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12 of your Savior, smoking flax shall he not quench. Jesus Christ doesn't want to put out that fire. And there was fire at the birth of the church because God was signifying, I now want to work in the hearts of my people. And your Savior doesn't want to put that fire out. Are you you resisting the Holy Spirit? You trying to stamp it out before it kind of gets any kindling going? Trying to smother it with the the affairs of this life and the cares of this world? Well, I can't do that. I'm so busy. I can't get to the nursing home. I'm so busy. You know, you just throw a hot blanket, you throw a big blanket. I can't go to church today. I'm so busy. I can't stop doing that. Well, my friends think I'm so busy. And you throw a big, you know, that's one way to get rid of a fire, right? Is you smother it, cut off its oxygen supply. You quench it. The spirit of Christ doesn't want to quench it. The spirit of Christ doesn't quench even smoking flax. The spirit of Christ wants to blow upon that thing and let that fire burn and see some revival fires creep across this place. But what spirit are you of? If you're trying to put it out, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Maybe I said something today that stepped on one of your proverbial toes without me even realizing it some character trait, some habit that's crept into your life, some attitude you've had towards God's word, something, something somewhere. When you preach the word of God, that spirit just moves around the room and it's touching on you somewhere. And you know what? you got two choices. You can kindle that fire or you could stomp that sucker out. So no, 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 no. We're not going there, God. We're not going there, God. No, 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 no. This is my life. This is my thing. This is my time. And we... Stomp it out like an ember at a campfire. You quench it. Can I ask you, if you're stomping out what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in your life, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm not convicted about it. You're probably not convicted about it because you've stomped out and quenched the Spirit out so many times that he's like, I'm just going to leave you alone. When you stop struggling with sin... I'm worried about you. When you stop seeing a problem with stuff, when you get so callous and so blasé and so nonchalant about your lack of devotion, your lack of consecration, your lack of holiness, your lack of love for the Lord, when what I'm saying right now, if it isn't bothering you in the least, I fear for you. Because you've quenched the Holy Spirit so many times that you don't even hear his voice anymore. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm trying to speak to the church, speak to the church, speak to the church. Can you hear that still small voice in the words of the pages we've just read? What's he calling you for? What have I told you to do? Love him more? Separate yourself from him more? Esteem his work more highly in your life? What are you doing? What are you doing if you're not listening? What are you doing? You're just stomping him out quenching what God's trying to do. He's like, I want to work in you. I want to change you. I want to make you into what I can make you to be. And what I can make you to be is far better than anything you can make yourself. Why would you resist that work? Why would you fight that work? Why would you continue to kick against the pricks? Give up. Yield. Let go. Let him have his way. Give in. God's always going to give you something better than what you think you have right now. But you got to yield. If Christ doesn't quench smoking flax, what spirit are ye of when you resist the Holy Spirit? I know it feels so right when you do so much wrong. You actually convince yourself that it's the right thing to do. Well, I can't go to church today because... You know, you convince yourself that it's a good reason to skip. Well, I can't give that track to that person because, and you've worked out this whole thing in your mind. Well, I can't set that cyber time, that time aside, because I got to do this and I got to do that. And you've actually convinced yourself that that's the right thing to do. You know what you've done? You've quenched the Holy Spirit so much that you're cold. There's no fire. There's no zeal. There's no passion. There's nothing but just coldness, emptiness. You know what the opposite of love is? Not hate. Apathy. You know what I see when I look at a lot of Christians like myself in the mirror? Apathy. Indifference. Just couldn't give a flip that he bled on the cross. Couldn't care at all that he shed his blood. Won't think twice about the fact that he faced the flames of hell to deliver you from such a great death. It's just like, who's on today? Who's playing today? When is the next time we eat? Where are we going, you know, for the party? That's all we're thinking about. We make God bleh, sick. So I'll spew you out of it. It's all about my pleasure, my happiness, my things, mine, 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 mine. You know what you do that? Stamping it. Bible says you better not tread that that blood under your feet. And sometimes God's trying to light it up. Even now, I'm almost done, don't worry. But even now, I talk about the blood of Christ and the price he paid and that blood you think about, you see it at the foot of that bloodstained cross. You know what you're doing? You know what you're doing when you stomp out that convicting feeling? When you stomp it out, you quench the spirit of God that's trying to glorify Christ and point you to Christ? You might as well walk up to Calvary and just walk all over the blood of Jesus. You might as well, might as well, because that's what you're doing. You're quenching the Spirit of God is trying to say, in you, say to you, isn't he so good, don't you want to love him a little more? Isn't he so good, don't you want to know about him a little bit more? Isn't he so good, don't you want to dive into that Bible and just learn a little bit more about him? Or is that thing just so amazing that you're going to put Jesus on the shelf with the elf, and then you're going to have, you know, your time for you? It's so sad how we are so said. Jesus said that spirit of truth shall be in you. First question, I'm done. Is he in you? If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. That spirit isn't living inside of you, you're lost. You're going to hell. I don't mean to sound rude, but i got to shake it up and say it right to you. You're going to hell. The Holy Spirit's saying, you're going to hell. And if that Holy Spirit's saying, you're going to hell, are you going to quench the warning the holy spirit's like don't go to hell don't go to hell don't there's a track that we made somebody made many years ago it's a guy in 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 the savior's hands and he's nailing the the thing into the savior's hand and the title of the track was god says please don't go to hell and that's god pleading with you through his spirit and you're like "Ah, i'll worry about tomorrow i'll think about it next time it's not a big deal that's just the way you see it it's just your religion just stomping him out. And if he is in you, what on earth are you doing with this treasure in your earthen vessel? What are you doing? You doing anything with it? I don't know what that it is you're supposed to do. I don't know, but are you going to check him and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do with what you said? Or will it be just, all right. Where's lunch? Right? What do I got to do today? You know, I gotta get to the stores. Right? Oh, tracting next week? Oh no. I can't do that. I gotta make, you know, I gotta make my special duck, whatever I gotta do. I gotta make my I don't know. Right? Quench not so you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads.